Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. I'm Pat Nevin. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We are doing our Premier League season preview specials, and on this episode, we are talking about last season's champions, the Centurions from two seasons previously, Manchester City, and we are so fortunate to be joined by David Mooney, at David Mooney on Twitter. He is the host and founder of the Blue Moon Podcast, at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. David, welcome to the show, and how great is it right now to be a City supporter? (laughs) It's probably the best it's ever been, if uh, if truth be told. Um, the, the, the funny thing with it is, uh, that that there are city fans who, well, I mean, the vast majority of city fans can remember the worst ever period in city's history. And then for the, for what is ultimately going to be the best ever period to be within living memory of that, it it just, it it makes for a very, a really weird setup, you know? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's much like, I think how we felt, uh, once Abramovich came in. And, uh, you know, we kind of ran this really long distance and we're still winning trophies, but not, I mean, not at the same clip that we we used to. And I think, you know, City was kind of a, a few years after that and just kind of where they started that basically run of success. 
And so, yeah, I feel like, you know, City and Chelsea fans have a lot of similar understanding to what it can feel like when you understand the lows so that you appreciate the highs a little bit more than uh, some other clubs. Yeah, were Chelsea's lows that low, though, really, recently? <laughs> because I, 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 recently, I, I, I no. Think- <laughs> I was going to say when when Abramovich arrived, it was it, it were you'd still you'd won you'd won things in the years before that, hadn't you? You'd won like FA Cups and stuff like that. So there was uh, there, there was still success kind of around there. When I mean when Mansour arrived at City, what it was thirty five years without a major trophy that they went uh, seventy six to twenty eleven, and uh, Mansour arrived in two thousand and eight. So there's there'd been there'd been a long time where City were not at the top table and were not a powerhouse of English football. And th- there's a really weird. I mean, I don't want to get bogged down in the history of things already, but I think this is fascinating. Um, in the early nineties, nineteen ninety one, ninety two, the last season before the Premier League, um, City finished above United, um, and they were they were both in a position. Where things could go either way, City were in a City. I think finished fifth that year, um, and they were they were really in a position to kick on and develop and become a powerhouse of English football. United were in a pretty similar position, and then you know by nineteen ninety nine, City were in their lowest ever position in the in the football pyramid, and United were winning a treble. And it was just at that that slide indoors moment where things were just one went one way, one went the other. And for one, it just absolutely fell apart. So, that, so there, there, there was a point in the nineties where you know if, if things had been a little bit different, then we could be talking. We could have been talking about City as one of the powerhouses of English football through the nineties and noughties, uh, instead of uh, instead of it being United. Yeah, I mean, it, it just took a, a couple extra decades to get there, but you're, you're finally <laughs> arrived, and you can enjoy that fact. So, and a few hundred million pounds, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what's what's that to people who own entire states uh, and, you know, sovereign nations? Um, so what about you, though? So you, how long have you been a, a city supporter? You know, kind of where where did your love for the, the club really flourish? Is it all, you know, from childhood to now or did you kind of come to it later in life? Uh, yeah, it's not really a, a very interesting story. It was it's just my dad was a city fan. My mum and my mum and him used to uh, take me to games when I was younger. And I was kind of indoctrinated at an early age, so I mean, I don't, I don't buy into that whole, you know, some fans are better than others, or you know, our fans are different than your fans, and that sort of thing. Um, I fully accept that I was brainwashed into it when I was a child, <laughs> and uh, formed this deep emotional attachment to this football club for no other reason than my parents are particularly cruel for doing that to a. A five, six, seven-year-old kid in the mid nineteen nineties, when you know the, the easier solution would have been at that time to go support United. So um, they, it, it's 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 just simply that it it, it kind of runs in the family. Uh, we got, I think that we got free tickets through school. Um, City used to give free tickets to the community, and uh, my school was one of them that got that got free tickets. We applied to them and got them. Um, and that's how we ended up kind of going to games. And then by about ninety six, ninety seven. Um, we realised that we were we were buying individual tickets to go to games pretty much every every other week. So we may as well just get season tickets, and, sure. and we've had season tickets ever since. Oh, it's excellent. Well, I can definitely relate to the indoctrination piece from parents, and you know, it's not necessarily as bad as a cult type of indoctrination at <laughs> a young age. But I remember there, there were, there, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. There are worse things to be indoctrinated into. Yes. Okay? I'll, I'll concede that. Uh, I remember uh, being raised as a Boston Red Sox fan in the 
early 90s and then into the 2000s, finally getting a chance to see them uh, win a World Series. And so uh, after years of being heckled or made fun of by friends who were Yankees supporters, it was uh, quite the, the transitionary moment. So, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> comeuppance always returns for people. It does, yeah. <laughs> so great. So let's kind of jump in. You know, we'll kind of take a look at last season, uh, how you feel about it, uh, maybe what were the, the high or the, you know, I guess, you know, not as high moments, um, the arrivals and departures, anything that's been interesting there, how you're thinking about Chelsea and what's happened in, in this off season for us, and then looking to the season ahead. So we'll go in last season, obviously, uh, you win the league, you win the FA cup, you win the league cup, um, you win the community shields, you make it to the quarterfinals of the champions league on a scale of, I would say one to 10, but I'm actually going to go like eight to 10, probably. How would you rate the last season for City? Um, I, the, the thing is, it, it sounds awful to say this, but but because of the way that scales work, 10 has to be the absolute perfect season and zero has to be the worst season imaginable. And although last season was the single best in City's history and they've performed, they've played better football than I, you know anybody has ever seen them play before, it can't quite reach ten because they weren't perfect. And so, but like on on that kind of flip side, you would say, well, no team could ever make ten because you're never going to have the perfect season. So I, I reckon it was probably as close to perfect as you as as you could really ask for. Uh, so you, you'd kind of give it nine point nine, I reckon. I think that's fair. I think most people would uh, rate it that way. So I, I'm I'm guessing that the biggest regret though this this previous season, even after winning all that, is just the way that City went out of the Champions League. And that's probably the one area I would guess that you would hope there would be improvement in in this coming season. Yeah, the the Champions League is... Um, oh boy, there's a, the, there's a lot to unpack with the Champions League and City. Um, <laughs> they, they, they don't really get on. Um, it's... It's funny because the club's ownership and the management and the players will all be desperate to win the Champions League, and will all be you know really pushing for that to be the the area of improvement. It's the only area in which they can improve next season. They, you know, they, uh, it, 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 on a side note, it's a bit weird going into a season where your expectations for it are lower than what you achieved the year before. Um, but you, you kind of, if you were to say next season would be a failure if City didn't do what they did last season then you're setting them up for a fall because they're probably not going to do what they did last season. Um, so when it comes around to the Champions League and you ask for a little bit of improvement in there, well, they've reached the semi-finals of the competition once. And in that year, they were they got lucky in many ways. They weren't playing well at all. Uh, it was Manuel Pellegrini's final season at, uh, at the Etihad and it was the year that Leicester won the title. And the... The biggest regret that I think Pellegrini will have in his managerial career at City is, first off, the way he went out of the Champions League that season because they got to the semi-final, played Real Madrid, and they did, they actually did really well to keep Madrid at arm's length in the home leg. They went away to the Bernabeu in the second leg and did absolutely nothing. And there was a there was a point with with kind of like ten fifteen minutes to go where they needed a goal. A goal would have taken them through to the Champions League final. And what Pellegrini did was just kind of sit on things and, and kind of keep it as it was. And didn't re- they never really opened the taps and got going. And it kind of summed up that entire season. And, and on a kind of more roundabout way, it kind of sums up City's relationship with the Champions League as it is. The fans are quite apathetic towards it. And, and I think there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. I think the first one was 
when they first qualified, it was quite, uh, they were quite enthusiastic about it and quite, you know, excited to see City playing in the Champions League for the first time. Um, for the first two or three seasons, they got drawn in a group that was ridiculously difficult. And for two of those draws, they had won the league the year before. So they, so you, you kind of got, I remember in 20, it was in the 2012-13 season, they were in a group of, of four champions of, of their own domestic league. And yeah, okay, City had won the league the year before and they should be they should have performed better than they did in that group. You still also have to turn around and say, well, you know, why did the team that finished fourth in, in England get an easier draw than the team that finished first? First, where's the where's the kind of reward for, for doing what, what, what City had done? And it, it it was that I think that kind of sparked the reform of the Champions League seeding system for the group stage. Um, so that kind of that happened, and then the first three or four years, City played really badly in the Champions League, and so fans started to think, well, why why are we bothering getting up for this competition when you know <laughs> the, the, they're going to turn up and, and not really play very well? And then on top of that, you throw in a few incidents with UEFA, the financial fair play charge, the the idea that financial fair play was put in place as as a very hasty way to stop City just spending loads of money and, and getting the way to the top table, which you know I've got opinions on, and we'll we'll probably touch on a bit later on. Um, there was an incident where uh, Mario Balotelli and Yaya Toure were racially abused at um, I think it was in Porto once they dropped down into the Europa League in that first season, um, and. Uh, Porto were fined less than City were fined for arriving late to the second half of that game, and so there, there was a, there was a whole string of, of of kind of things that have that have really gone towards making a fall a massive fallout between City fans and UEFA, and now we've got to the stage where where City fans are really not that that fussed about the Champions League because everything has boiled over. And so you, City are in this really weird juxtaposition of the club wanting to improve and do well in the competition and City fans just not getting up for it. I mean, you, you look at the group stage and it, it's really difficult for City to sell tickets to it because I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the fans recognise that those group games, there's not really a lot riding on them. They, you know, City lost the first group game last season and still went on to, to, to walk the table right. and, and, and get into the, into the knockout stages. So there's, there's kind of not a lot of jeopardy there. As soon as the jeopardy kind of increases and you get to the knockout stages, and you look at that that Tottenham game that they that uh, City went out to, stadium was sold out. So you, you kind of get in this in this position where the exciting games are the ones where the fans will will you know rock up to and and and, and do their bit for. But there's no real value in the early stages, especially when ticket prices are what they are. So there's there's there's, right. this, there's a real kind of melting pot of problems with City in the Champions League. So to simply say that City need to improve in that next season to to improve on it will be is is a really weird sort of uh, position to have because I I don't know if they can under the in, in the way that it that it's working at the moment you know right it, it sounds as almost if there there's a a need to combat the apathy within the supporters towards that competition and find a way for the the club has to find a way to take their desire and help map that or bridge the divide and where the supporters feel this you know i mean you know basically they feel like they've been slapped around by uefa enough and feel like europe isn't as important you know to the domestic success that cities had over the past few seasons and bridge those two things together and the the two are not currently in sync uh, they're very much not in sync and i i don't know how you solve the problem to be honest yeah, I, I, there's there's another the other kind of issue with it as well is Guardiola doesn't seem to get why the fans feel like that. 
Um, and I suspect that's because he's come from, from Barcelona and Bayern Munich who have had masses of success in the competition and so the fans are uh, really on board with it. And I think the fact that City haven't had that success means the fans are, are still quite sceptical of it and not uh, and, and kind of... They they don't have this rip roaring atmosphere that you would expect at you know uh, at Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich. So pre match when in his press conferences when he says things like we need our fans to turn up and get behind the team, the fans' reaction to that is is quite often oh you can't tell me what to do don't tell me what to do like that I, you know I'll, I'll I'll get up for the games that I want to get up for you know you don't don't be and you might be bringing your, your great football here and and uh, winning all sorts of trophies but you can't tell me what to do sort of thing when it comes to the Champions League so there is a massive disconnect and um, yeah I, I suppose the short answer is I have absolutely no idea how you solve it other than winning the thing well that uh, you know again with the squad that's been assembled I think that that is obviously could have happen given the fact that we had an all English uh, Europa League and Champions League final this uh, past season but let's kind of dig into that squad in particular so you know in terms of departures you know I think uh, Femi Delft going to Everton is one of the the big money move that you guys made in terms of uh, almost 10 million pounds for selling him Uh, Vincent Company obviously leaving after a very long time and tenure at the club uh, any concern about yeah, you know, like who's left? You know, in terms of uh, filling void, or you know, was it more of your feeling that it was age? It was the fact that the squad is extremely deep, and that the opportunities is just kind of decreasing for players that are more on the fringe. Um, I I don't. I'm not particularly worried about about the state of the squad. Um, it would be incredibly crass of me to say that, that <laughs> City are um, are, are going to struggle next season for for players. I think, first off, there is a myth about City that they have a very deep squad. They don't. What they do have is a squad that is able to, to first off, adapt to problems, and second off, they can all fill in for each other. So, for example, City, you know, you look at City's squad on paper, and they they don't have the required number of homegrown players, so they can't name a full twenty five man squad. So there's a I think the I think the the most they can name is twenty two players, which I, I mean again it's not a it, it's it, it's not a huge problem. But then you know you throw in okay Fabian Delft's left now, but he was one who could play in the centre of midfield, or he could play at left back, or he could you know he could fill in as a holding midfielder or a box to box midfielder that sort of thing, and. So what City have is a lot of players that can play in a lot of different positions. And so it feels like they have this great strength in depth. But suddenly when they get four or five injuries on the go at the same time, you know, your fans look at it and go, well, goodness me, the the, the, the squad is down to its bare bones. And it's this paradox that, that everything exists in because actually Guardiola is very, very good at solving those problems when he hasn't got a left back, for instance, he is able to make one. You know, he turned Fabian Delph into one for 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 two years. Okay, last season didn't really work out for him. Um, Alexander Zinchenko is not a left back, but then you know this season he will be one of City's two main left backs for the for, for the entirety of the campaign. So what Guardiola can do is he can look at a problem and then solve it with what he's got, and that's that's why. He always seems very disinterested in transfers, for instance. Whenever whenever transfer questions are put to him in press conferences, he kind of says, well, you know what, it's it's the, the director of football that, that, that sorts that out and I just kind of coach the team and, 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 you know, get the results on the pitch sort of thing. And 
So I, I think when it comes down to, to am I worried about the squad? Um, Juan Guardiola's in charge. I'm not going to be worried about uh, you know who's around and, and who can fill in where. The number of times City have had problems with, oh, there's no striker available this week uh, because one's injured, one's suspended, so what's he going to do? And he's fiddled with things around. He's put Kevin De Bruyne up top or he's moved Raheem Sterling into this this kind of false nine position and it's, and it's worked. So the, the, there's so many options that he has. I think City's squad is, is well position to be able to, to, to kind of deal with that. The centre-back thing is interesting. They, uh, they've they lost, uh, obviously, Vincent Kompany, um, who has moved on at the, after 11 years at the club. It's it's going to be a really weird kind of squad to, to not have him in it anymore. Um, but the feeling is that Fernandinho will be a centre-back next season, so that kind of balances that one out. And then Rodri comes in and, and, and takes Fernandinho's position in the team. Sure. There's also the added benefit that uh, Ilkay Gundogan last season was was someone who was, you know, in the in the first half of the season when Fernandinho got injured, Gundogan couldn't do that role. In the second half of the season, you know, the the the, the run into the title, City didn't have Fernandinho available for four, five, six games there, and Gundogan came in, did the did the perfect job, and you know, went on to score in the last day of the season. To uh, I think I think his goal put the game beyond doubt at uh, at Brighton. So there's. That, that there was that there's so many different options that Guardiola has with the players he's got. I don't really feel like the club will go out and spend a lot of money unless it absolutely has to. Unless there was a position where you know three three centre backs were were, were suddenly uh, injured or one or maybe Otamendi says you know what I, I need to play more games I need to leave then they might go and replace him once they've got rid of him. But they're they're not going to do any major surgery I don't think. So you're not unhappy with. The like eighty million pound Harry Maguire acquisition for going to potentially United versus heading to City. No, I wouldn't. Um, unless, like I say, unless Otamendi were to leave, for instance, then I think City should look at their options. Um, I think I, from what I've seen of Maguire, uh, he's he's a very very good defender and he he's done well for England. Um, but I think he. He would he would probably accept that he would if he were to be coming to City he would be behind John Stones and, and Emerick Laporte but then he equally Guardiola has this thing where when he picks his his centre backs he picks them for the opposition he doesn't pick what his what his ideal starting pair would be you know for for most games City fans would go well Stones and, and Laporte are your two starters and uh, you kind of build around that. For, for games last season where you had a big battering ram of a striker for the, for the opposition, for instance, Guardiola would quite often pick Otamendi because he's someone who is quite up for the battle when maybe you know Stones and Laporte aren't quite uh, aren't quite that sort of defender. So he he looks at his he looks at who he's got available, and I think if Otamendi were to leave, you know you, you look at Fernandinho as a centre back, and then Laporte and Stones, they're all very similar. He might want to go out and get another battler at some point. No, that makes sense. So. Yeah, and, and then you, you did mention that Roddy's coming in to take over that defensive midfield position. Yeah, obviously he's probably the single big dollar signing that City will have this season. Yeah, how do you think he's going to allow the team to maybe play a little bit differently? And like, what's your excitement level for him? I think what's been exciting about him is that he has just turned up. He's played a couple of games in preseason. He's looked like he's been here for three years. So. The fact that he's comfortable on the ball and he seems to know what he's doing, I think that will it, it will put a lot of City fans at ease. Um, Fernandinho has been irreplaceable for City in the last couple of years. Uh, you, you look at, at the defeats they suffered last season, 
the first defeat at, at, at your place at Stamford Bridge. Um, it was it was going well. City were on top of the game. They conceded against the run of play, and I think it was in the in the move where they conceded the first goal. Fernandinho got injured, and the question was: Are they going to take him off or, or or leave him on? They left him on. And City, he just what he couldn't impact the game, and from that point on, City never once looked like scoring. Uh, the following week, they uh, they played Crystal Palace at home. Fernandinho didn't play, and found they found themselves three one down with, uh, with with an, with half an hour to go. The week after Boxing Day, they they get to Leicester, and uh, again Fernandinho not fit and uh, not available. And they they just don't have any threat whatsoever, and and, and Leicester come in and uh, and I, I, it it felt against the run of play watching the game, but also at the same time it felt like City were, could play and play and play for for the whole of Boxing Day and never score. So you kind of say, well, Leicester deserve that one as well. The, 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 those three defeats in particular, City had a lot of the ball, but they did nothing with it. And I think that I think what Rodri could offer is when Fernandinho isn't there. The ability to 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 get the ball moving and find the, the the dangerous players in dangerous positions that you know the other midfielders have not really been able to do. Okay, Gundogan was doing it again towards the end of the season, but he's someone who who you kind of want arriving late in the box. He's not the sort of player that you right. want sitting deep and pulling the strings. So I think I, I think it'll be interesting to see, and I think certainly you know from the limited amount I've seen of Rodri, he could be uh, he could be quite an exciting player. There's been a, a couple of people who've likened him to, to uh, a younger Busquets. Um, I wouldn't know; I've not seen enough of him. But uh, if he's anything like Busquets, then uh, then Guardiola will, will have a lot of fun with him. That's for sure. Yeah, even a uh, Busquets light would be a uh, a nice range to be associated with in terms of playing capacity. So I, I don't think that it was a uh, bad buy at all. I think it's actually a really intelligent buy, and I think this would be the feeling that most I think most Chelsea fans would have is that we have seen the way that City has spent their money even though it's a lot over the past three, four, five seasons. And there's not really a acquisition that I look at. And I'm like, that was a, either a bad you know gamble or they didn't spend that money appropriately. And we looked at over the same time, some of the players that we've brought in like Daniel Drinkwater or others uh, who constantly get you know brought up for the price that we paid for them. It seems like city has been extremely good at spending smart over the past three to four seasons. Do you feel like that's the accurate assessment? Are there any signings that maybe you were unhappy with um, that ha- you feel still haven't panned out? Um, I wouldn't. The only one that you'd kind of kind of say hasn't really worked has been Danilo. Um, but he's he's come in and he's he's come in as as a kind of utility fullback. He's someone who can who can deputise at left-back or right-back or maybe hold in midfield. And there just hasn't really been that much of a call for him to do that. Um, so it's not really his fault that it hasn't worked out. It's not really City's fault or Guardiola's fault. It's not really, n- there's no real blame on any of it. Um, it just, it, it, it's, he's one of the, I think he's probably the only player in the squad who you would say, you know, if he were to leave this summer, you, you know, I don't think many City fans would be that upset to see him go. Um I think you're right on on how City have spent recently. I mean, you, you only have to look at Manchester United for for the <laughs> the example of of how not to do it. They've gone out and, and you look at United squad. They've bought you know a, a string of really really good Premier League players, but they just can't get them to play together, and they can't get them to. Uh, to, to there's no kind of cohesive system, and you look at what City have got. I mean. First off, United's United's model of uh, Ed Woodward and, and the manager getting together to buy the players, 
it, it just doesn't work if you're going to chop and change your manager. City, if, if City were to lose Guardiola at the end of this season, which you know they're, they're not likely to do, he's likely to see out his, uh, his remaining two years on his uh, contract extension. But if they were, for instance, they've got a director of football who is building everything towards the same style of play. And so whichever manager comes in, you, his job or her job would be to, to get the best out of the players that they've got there available. And that's it. So I think when it comes to recruitment, City have, City have been building this model for some time. Uh, there were question marks over the recruitment when Pellegrini was in charge. I think there were a string of signings that, that were made during the Pellegrini era that were that just didn't work out. Um, the the cynic in me would say that that was largely because City didn't want to spend a huge ton of cash because they knew that Guardiola was coming three years down the line, and you know there's no point in ripping everything up, starting again, and then doing it again three years later when when the the person who you have built this this post takeover club to accommodate absolutely everything at City is built up for Guardiola to be there. Um, that there's no reason to, to kind of invest in things before that, and then have to spend a lot of money fixing the problems that you've created by making by spending that money in the first place. So I, I think that that would be the cynic in me would would say why there were so many wrong transfers during Pellegrini's time, and why suddenly it's gone so right in recent years. Yeah, that makes a, a whole lot of sense. And uh, there's uh, de- so let's kind of go down this path though. So when you take a look at where. Chelsea are today. There's a couple of talking points that I think we can get into. Uh, you know, obviously, we win the Europa League. We finish third place. So in terms of you know success for the season, we got a trophy. We get back in the Champions League. You know, both ways we could have. Um, what are your thoughts about the leaving Mauricio Sarri and then the appointment of uh, Frank Lampard uh, at, from a from a City perspective? Um, I. I uh... I don't know. I think it's a very dangerous strategy to just throw Lampard in there. I know he's had a few years at Derby and he's he's done pretty well there. Um, but it it works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. And I I'm interested to see what what Lampard will change from from Sari. I thought I felt a little bit for Sari because his uh, Napoli team City faced in uh, the Champions League uh, not last season, season before. Um, and it was they were the two best games that City played that season. It was there were two real ding dong battles where both teams were trying to get the ball down and play football. They were both trying to work the space and and uh, and, and cause all sorts of problems. And I think you were starting to see that from Sarri's Chelsea last season. But it never it, it always felt like an appointment that, that Abramovich was never going to give it the time that it needed to work. I think so. You look at, at Guardiola's first season at City; it was an absolute write-off, and a large part of that was because he had so much coaching to do to get into the players where they needed to move, what they needed to do when they had the ball, and, and this, that, and the other. And you started to see that pay off for City at the end of the the sixteen seventeen season. The, the last kind of five or six games. They were really starting to play, you know, how they would go on to play for the last two seasons, and I think if if Sarri had been given a lot more time at Chelsea, I think I think he could have worked something a lot more like his his, his Napoli side. But then it always felt like he was on the verge of falling out with the Chelsea board, and the board were on the verge of falling out with with, with him, and it just seemed a, a, a real a real shame that he's uh, he's ended up having to move to Juventus so so quickly. 
then again, on the flip side, I find his appointment at Juventus a bit of a weird one because it doesn't really fit with <laughs> it doesn't really fit with what they what, what sure. they're going to do either. So I I don't know. I think I think Chelsea's model in recent years. I think oh, everything about it screams that it shouldn't work. You shouldn't be able to have such a high turnover of managers and you know win the league every couple of years and win a, win a trophy here and there. But you have done, and you know you, you look at Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho. They've they've they won good titles at, at Chelsea, and it just like it doesn't make any sense that you should then rip all that up, start again, and then go on and win the league. I don't know how that I don't know how it works. So you know maybe maybe we're sitting here with with, with Lampard to to pop up with a a ninety nine point season and uh, and to go on and, and win the title. Who knows? But it's. It's it's certainly a model that shouldn't work, um, and that it does baffles me from from season to season. <laughs> um, I'm, I am interested to see how Lampard does. He is is one of uh, my favourites. Uh, he before he joined City, he was one of my favourite non-City players. Uh, he then had a year at City and caused all sorts of controversy with New York City by uh, sure. pretend, by pretending that he'd signed there uh, permanently and was at City on loan when he hadn't done. He just signed permanently for City for a season. Um, there, there was all sorts of fun and games around that, and uh, it was just really mischievous. And I, I, I loved what what's it what his final season in the Premier League was with City. Uh, he was nothing like the player that that Chelsea had, but he was uh, he was great for City. For he, he did a job for City for a season, and uh, and I'll always respect that. Yeah, one, one thing you can count on with Frank is that he will get the job done. Uh, maybe not at the same level um as his uh you know, obviously highest goal scorer for Chelsea and one of the top goal scorers in the entire Premier League um but yeah the the, the goal against us was one of those uh terror moments that you want to scrub out of your mind and oh it, it, never it, was, it, it was always going to happen wasn't it, I, 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 it that, was. that was the thing I I know I didn't understand why in the in the game at the bridge we didn't bring him on sooner because I, I just thought if there's one person that's going to win this game for City it's got to be Lampard from the edge of the box hasn't it because yes. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's the law of football, returning players always score. So, um, well, it's great. Well, so another thing, you know, so we know that you know Chelsea are kind of within their their transfer ban right now, the registration ban, so they're not bringing in any new players. Uh, yeah, I think we've been excited uh, to see someone like Phil Foden get opportunities at City last season. You know, see some of the, the the City Academy start to get their due, and now we're potentially get get this chance with Chelsea's academy to get some recognition. Uh, you know, we've seen players like Ruben Loftus Cheek, you know, earn basically a first team starting position, a contract extension this past season. Mason Mount has assigned a, a new extension. Um, obviously, Callum Hudson Odoi and Tammy Abraham are probably within that ranks, those ranks as well. Is there anyone that maybe you've heard of or you've seen in the you know England youth sides that you're interested to see if they can cement themselves in this? perfect storm of opportunity when Chelsea can't bring in outside reinforcements and actually have to look inward? Uh, the the two that, the, the, I mean, I'm not going to surprise you here, but the, the two that I, re, I really like uh, are the are the, both the lads with the double-barreled name, Hudson-Odoi and uh, Loftus-Cheek. They, I, I think, certainly Loftus-Cheek is, is someone who I think has great potential. Um, one thing I, I would kind of urge caution against is the idea that the transfer ban will be a positive thing in that it, it will force these players to, to get minutes and, and that, that will help them. Uh, one thing that I've I've liked about Foden and City the, in, in the last season was that he wasn't, unless the game was right for him, he wasn't thrown in. And there were he, he got a lot more playing time than a lot of people seem to realise that he did. Uh, he came off the bench a fair number of times. 
And then towards the end of the season, he started the odd high-pressure game. And that was kind of Guardiola's um, moment of faith in him to say, look, I trust you to go out there and, and, and get the job done. So go out there and get the job done. Um, if City had been in a position where they had to play him, I'm not convinced he would have put the performances in that 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 he did do. So I think, yeah, there is certainly going to be great opportunity for Chelsea's youth players in this instance. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not necessarily convinced it will be a great thing. Hey, I might, I might be, I might be completely wrong about that, and and uh, and especially the players I've mentioned could could turn around and uh, and put in some wonderful performances, and no doubt do it against City and, and win the games to to really put some <laughs> egg on my face. But I, I just think there's there has to be caution about that. I think Chelsea are going to be very very smart what they do next season. Um, because you want to you want to be able to give these players time in in the first team, but also you don't want to put too much pressure on them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Lampard does. I mean, Lampard, by all accounts, is a pretty good man manager, so he he should at least have that side of the game um, as, as kind of uh, to a T. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think the the other player that we we mention as. Uh, you know, being the American Chelsea podcast is the arrival of Christian Pulisic to the Premier League. Uh, I obviously have only seen just a little bit of him in a Chelsea shirt, mostly photo shoots up until this point, and <laughs> you know, t- twenty plus minutes in a uh, friendly in Japan. Um, do you have any thoughts, any feelings about this type of signing? Are, are you one of the people who thinks that's one of those? Yeah, signings that is really more of a commercial piece, or do you feel like there's a, a talented individual that and Chelsea may have tried to buy in early at at the high price that just the market is pushing all these players up to at the moment? I think he's certainly very exciting. Um, I've not seen an awful lot of him, uh, so I think you guys as, as Americans will be better placed than I will to to, to kind of comment on his uh, on his ability. Um, but from what I've seen, he's certainly very exciting, and I think. He's he's the sort of player that I might have seen at City in this kind of City fold, uh, but not as the next club. If you know what I mean, it might it might be that he had a transfer somewhere else, and then City went out and spent big on him after that. So maybe like from if if City ever do transfers from Chelsea, which are, they're, they're both on that kind of footy now where they won't sell to each other. Um, but that sort of uh, that that sort of deal, I think Chelsea have been quite smart in getting in there quite early in that sense. Uh, but he may need. A, he, may, he may just need some time. I don't know. That that uh, that is fair. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if he'll be starting the season, but uh, definitely think he's in contention to you know play twenty, you know twenty five games maybe this season fully and uh, get an opportunity to contribute, especially as uh, some of our other wingers like Pedro and William maybe kind of tamper down to the end of their you know time at Chelsea or being the kind of heavy contributors that they have been in previous seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that you mentioned, and I, I think, uh, you, know, C- you know, City fans feel aggrieved when they look at UEFA and FIFA. Chelsea fans also feel potentially <laughs> times aggrieved <laughs> about UEFA and FIFA. Um, obviously, we're dealing with the registration ban. You mentioned earlier, and I kind of wanted to bring this back up, about the financial fair play issues, you know, which is something that, you know, I think, Chelsea, you know, at a club at a certain times was probably one of those clubs that was thought about in the creation of rules like financial fair play and have tried yeah. to run that bounce book scenario, one in, one out. Um, really have made a lot more money on player sales over the past couple of seasons than we have, you know, especially losing out on some European competition in a couple of seasons. Um, how do you feel about the financial fair play situation? How do you feel about the, you know, the, 
I think what most people say singling out of City, at least in, in the modern era, especially when you also look at like PSG spending like a, a, a nation state and not receiving some of the same kind of critical eye. Yeah, I think the first thing that, that I would say uh, before I say any of this is that uh, one thing that your listeners need to be aware of is, as of, of course, I would say this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I, I don't think yeah. it's going to surprise anybody. <laughs> I, I think I think financial fair play is a terrible idea. Um, it, it's worked on. It, it has worked in that it has stopped clubs spending beyond their means and uh, going out of business. But what it has, what the side effect of that has been, has been to ensure that the clubs that make the most money traditionally will stay in that position of of holding the power in in especially in Europe. Largely because nobody can ever spend the money that they spend because nobody can ever get to that level to earn the money that they earn. So there comes a position where City, in a way, got quite lucky with financial fair play because when it came in, the drawbridge was being pulled up and City kind of clambered over the top of it and fell down the other side and are in a position where they can build on everything that they've got at the minute, start to build commercial revenue and have a seat at the top table based on the money that they spent just before it came in. You take a, you know, I've got plenty of fans that that are friends that are fans of other clubs, and every single one of them over, you know, at the time when financial fair play was coming in, was talking about, oh, this is a great thing because it means that that clubs can't can't buy their way to the top. And then I, I, I kind of looked at them and went, "Why is that such a good thing?" Because you know you're an Aston Villa fan. When are you when are you going to get to see Aston Villa in a Champions League final now? And the answer is, well, you're not. So that I think that that's the problem that that, that that's the big problem that I have with financial fair play. Listen, I, I grew up as a City fan in the '90s, and I spent season after season after season listening to United fans telling me how much better than than, than City they were. Talking about you know how City were a rubbish club and could never do anything, you know could never achieve anything, would never win anything again. I, I got to a point in about 2006 where City got knocked out of the FA Cup to Blackburn in a in a horrid game at Ewood Park. Blackburn had a man sent off after about 10 minutes or something like that, and they still lost to the 10 men. And there was a point where the players were trudging off the fit, off the pitch and the fans were chanting at them, "You're not fit to wear the shirt." And I kind of, I, I sat there, I watched it in the pub at, at, at university and I, I sat there with my friends and I had this sudden realisation that that was as good as it was ever going to get. City were going to be safe in the Premier League, they were going to finish on 40 points and, and just get over the uh, over the line. They might have a cup run to an FA Cup you know, quarter-final or, or, or potentially a semi-final, but that might be asking a bit too much. And then we'd do it all again the next season. And I, I, I kind of thought... I, I, I if this is as good as it gets, what's the point? Sort of thing. What, why am I? Why am I continually investing my hope into this group of players when when nothing is ever going to come of it? And then 2007, they take over by Taxi in Sinawatra. 2008, they take over by uh, Sheikh Mansour. And I have seen things in the last ten years at City that I never dreamt I would be able to see. I think that should be open to every single football fan on the, on the planet. And I think you should be able to have that position where if a rich owner wants to come in and pump an absolute, absolute ton of money into this club, then let them do it. You know, let them do it. Let them invest on the, in the playing staff and get this, this football club up to the top of the table and enjoy watching your football team play great football. And what Financial Fair Play has done is it stomped on all those hopes and dreams 
but it has made sure that every single club is, is, is likely going to survive. And then the, the, the flip side of all of that is what it's done is, is that City have, have looked at it and gone, well, we don't think these rules are, are, are particularly fair. Um, we want to we, we want to continue to sign players, and so then then you start getting scrutiny of, of all the sponsorship deals that City have done, and and you know the, the the classic was the Etihad Stadium naming rights deal, which over ten years worked out at something like five million pounds a year, which on a, on any sort of normal basis you would say, well, that's that's vastly undervalued. At the time, it seemed like a lot, and at the time, it enabled City to go out and spend, you know. 50 million on on whoever but they then start to magic up all these other kind of deals with with companies that you know when you dig deep enough you start to wonder well are they actually a connection to the owners and is it just the owner finding a different way to pump money into the club and you know city won't be the only team doing the these sorts of deals they they've been caught recently with the uh, with the football league stuff that came out and we'll probably get some sort of punishment, but I don't think the fans will, will care particularly. I don't think the club will care particularly. Mm. And we'll be, you know, if they get, I don't know, a, a, a season out of the Champions League or two seasons out of the Champions League, City will go back into it and then everything will, will kind of start again. And you, you just kind of wonder, what is the point of all of this being like this? You know, the, these rules didn't exist for Manchester United to win all sorts of uh, trophies in the 90s. And they, they talk like, like the money that they earned was organic. It was th- th- There's very little difference between spending lots of money that you've got by winning competitions and closing the drawbridge behind you and spending lots of money that a really rich person has given you on basically goodwill. So I, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that sort of oh, it's better to do it this way or that way because ultimately there's only one real way to do it. You'll get the odd season where uh, somebody like Leicester comes out of nowhere and wins the title, but more often than not, it will be one of the teams that spends the most money in that season that wins the title every year, and it will be one of the teams that spends the most money that wins the Champions League. So I think financial fair play has had its uses. Uh, but was a very, very ill-thought-out kind of rush piece of legislation that has had a knock-on effect that I don't think anybody... Re- well, I think a, a few people saw coming at the time, um, but I don't think their voices were particularly listened to. Well, and I, I think the, the challenge is now is how do you go back and rewrite it? How do you put it into place and, and frame it appropriately for the modern era where, again money just keeps on piling in. And if the money isn't being invested into trying to improve the quality of play to improve things like some type of fund for match officials to improve, to get VAR right, to just continually enhance the game, to bring up the lower levels of football and grassroots football. Like there, there's so many better uses for that money than lining pockets of owners. Oh, exactly. And the, the, the money and the money doesn't filter down either. So right. So City make a lot of money. They'll make if they're out of the Champions League for two seasons, they'll still make a lot of money. But none of that's going to filter down to the lower leagues of football. So that's the problem. That's how we, that, that that's how that's what for, uh, financial fair play needs to solve. It doesn't need to stop clubs spending a ton of money to get into the Champions League, and I think that's uh, we kind of lost sight of what it what it should be. Um, and I think all the the clubs that voted for it now, um, I think those that weren't already at the top table didn't realise what they were voting for, and I think those that were at the top table again call me cynical, um, and I think of which City were probably one at the time uh, would uh, would say. Mm, this this will keep us in the position we want to be in, um, and I think City at the time spotted that, 
they they had to. I think Gary Cook, the the former chief exec, said um, a few years ago. You know, we didn't want to spend that much money that quickly. We wanted to we wanted to be a, a much slower development. But when we saw financial fair play was on the horizon, we knew we needed to get in there before the door shut. And you know, look where we are now. The door is well and truly shut, and nobody's getting in, are they? <laughs> uh, not not at this present moment, though. I'm sure with. Uh the continually rising rights distribution and how that works that the, some team, uh, you know, I think like Wolves right now is a good example of a team that's finding a way to spend smart and has risen up pretty quickly over the past couple season and has the same type of ownership mentality that they don't just want to win, you know, the Premier League. They would like to go and be competitive in the Champions League. So I think it takes a, a unified approach in the way that we've seen before, uh, you know, at Chelsea, now at City, uh, now what we're seeing you know, at Wolves, the, you know, it has to be a, a top-down approach to taking that money and spending it wisely, not just saying we're going to go buy a bunch of players and hope it all ends up appropriately on the pitch. Oh, yeah, because otherwise you end up, uh, you, you, you get Manchester United if that's what happens. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love uh, every moment to dig in. You've taken it today. I really appreciate that. So you let's, can't not. It's, it's, you yeah. look, at the, look at the club. It's, a, it's an absolute shambles. I could do an hour talking about how badly run they are. It's just, there's, there's so much wrong with that club. It's it's so easy. I, I find it, I find it, uh, it would be an insult to your audience if I didn't take these opportunities. That's what I'll say. Well, it's, uh, I think it's how we feel about Arsenal now days where you know they, they've brought in one player and it's almost like they have a registration ban that they force on themselves uh, <laughs> and uh you know it just almost becomes to the point where is it is it too easy is it really too easy to make fun of them now because i kind of <laughs> feel like it is um so let's look at the season ahead so we'll, we'll kind of start to get wind down here i want to hear your predictions for how city will finish this season uh, we'll kind of go through a couple of the, you know, the the different tournaments and different trophies up for grabs uh, maybe a couple best players, and then uh, where where do you think Chelsea's going to finish? So league table position, prediction points. Where do you think City ends up this upcoming season? Um, I want to say first again, um, my I, I worry about Liverpool. Um, I think having gone close last season and having won the Champions League, they could they they could have the bit between the teeth. I'm kind of hoping that the way they lost the league last season by only losing one game and by uh, you know, having the record points total for second place, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that it really does beat them into submission. Um, but I don't see that coming, to be honest with you. I think I think Liverpool and City are your are your top two. Um, I would hope City are, are your top one. But you know, if it's Liverpool, then they're going to have to go some to do it because I think City are going to get in the region of of, of 98, 9900 points again. I don't see uh, I, I don't see too many teams taking uh, points off City this uh, this coming season. Well, I, I really hope that the the Liverpool scenario does not come to fruition. Uh, you know, I think uh, you you had a bunch of Chelsea supporters who were closeted City fans for the, <laughs> uh, the last couple matches of the season uh, with our fingers crossed and you know realizing that Liverpool at least had won the Champions League previously, so that was a, a lesser evil than watching Tottenham win and then watching City win uh, is, is much better than watching Liverpool win the league because uh, how obnoxious would that have been <laughs> if uh, yeah. if they had won both? That that just would have been, you know, the end of days would clearly have been upon us. Yeah, I, I, I didn't fancy it. The, the thing is, and I, I, know so, I know we shouldn't take social media at face value, um, but social media had amplified the absolute lunatics that were following uh, Liverpool. 
and basically we, in the, it was the it was the lunatic city fans were pushing the lunatic liverpool fans into my twitter feed and so all of a sudden i found i was hating everything to do with liverpool and i think <laughs> this is this is not healthy this is just not healthy just focus on city and if they don't do it then you know go into hiding for a couple of months and and you know that's it i think the, uh, the there was a point at, uh, towards the end of last season where I can tell you where it was because it was uh, me and my partner had gone out for food with uh, a friend of ours and uh, his colleague from work, and his colleague was a Southampton fan, and uh, it was it was a Friday night because it was Friday night football. Liverpool uh, had gone to Southampton and Southampton took the lead, and I couldn't tell you anything that was going on at that meal because I was I was so invested in this Liverpool game that I wasn't even watching. And it was on that night that I realised that all season, you know, normally you just play 38 Premier League games. Uh, last season, I must have I, I must have suffered through, you know, it must have got to about 60, because when it, when it emerged that Liverpool were going to be City's title challengers, um, I, I, you, you know, you end up watching every one of their games and supporting the opposition, and it just, it, it absolutely kills you. The moment when... They pull it back with a deflection or a you know a, a goalkeeper error that sort of thing, um, and City did it as well. So I'm fairly sure Liverpool fans felt the same way you know the other way around. Um, but it, it just abs- it's absolutely crushing, and I think and I've promised myself that I'm not going to get that invested next season. Oh, I, I wish you well in your attempt to not get caught up, but uh, it sounds absolutely like absolutely not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to yeah. happen. Uh, all right, so uh, FA Cup, League Cup, won both last season. Uh, do you see yourself winning zero uh, one? Are both of those again this season? Uh, honestly, I don't think they'll win both again. I think it would be extraordinary if City were to pull off a domestic treble two seasons running. Um, I my hunch should be that it'd be the FA Cup that they don't take. Uh, I mean, the, the, the flip side of it as well for for all of what City achieved last season, we have to acknowledge that they that they got lucky when they needed to get lucky. Um, there was a point in uh, oh when would it have been January uh, February time when the League Cup semi finals came around. They could have drawn Arsenal. They could have drawn Tottenham. They drew Burton Albion, and I'm not gonna. I don't want to disrespect Burton Albion, but you know Nigel Clough and and his team treated it like like they were out already, and City just City didn't even need to get out and neutral in the car to be, to, uh, to to go on and win those games. If they'd drawn Tottenham or Arsenal, they would have had two tough ties over over both legs. And so there were points in both of the cup runs where they got a really good draw and they dealt with it. You know, you look at, at, at the Swansea game in the FA Cup. Um, by all accounts, City were well. City were second best on the day. They got lucky with a penalty that wasn't a penalty, and then Aguero scored an offside goal at the end. Which you know, had it been on any other ground with VAR, it would have been ruled out and, and the game would have gone to extra time. Except right. it wouldn't because the, the penalty wouldn't have been given because you know Sterling tripped himself up. He wasn't tripped. So there's there's so many of those moments in in the cup runs that in in Premier League football you kind of write off and say well it balances out over the course of a season and teams get lucky and unlucky in various points in cup football you know you get lucky in three games and suddenly you you're in a you're in a quarter final or semi final so there's that there as much as City's achievement was fantastic there were elements along the way where they had their moments of good fortune and I don't I don't foresee that happening again every season that that, that comes along there'll be points where you know City don't next season in the FA Cup they could they could again get drawn away at Wigan and not turn up and then Wigan you know pull another number on City and, uh, and knock them out of the competition again so I, I, I don't I don't ever kind of count chickens when it comes to, to, to the knockout competitions 
What I would say is the number of times City have won the League Cup in recent years, uh, we kind of assume that City win it until they're told otherwise now. Right? Because uh, Guardiola, you look at the teams that that that, that the top sides put out, um, You know, most of them rotate the team, and then Guardiola puts out a full-strength 11 except for his goalkeeper, and you kind of wonder, well, okay, he, he takes every game seriously, doesn't he? Um, so if, if everybody else rotates and City don't, they have a pretty good chance of, uh, of winning the competition. So I'll, I'll uh, rather hesitantly say one cup and I think it'll be the League Cup. All right. So then uh, I know we talked about how there's an apathy towards the Champions League, but any thoughts on um, it sounds like you feel like you might not win it, but, you know, maybe where you know, what round do you go out in and, you know, or, or do you? Is this the year that City goes and, and makes the Champions League a thing? Um, bluntly, no, it isn't. I don't. I don't see them winning the Champions League anytime soon. I think they they've got the squad, they've got the players, they've got the manager to do it. Um, for one reason or another, they they just don't do it. I, th- I think last season was was a bit weird. I mean, I mean, we take Guardiola's last two seasons, for instance. Um, they they got drawn up against Liverpool in in seventeen eighteen. And Liverpool are the perfect team to knock City out of a cup competition. They play such quick attacking football that um, City were 3-0 down before they'd they'd realised what was going on. Um, And again, City fans will, will point to some bad decisions in that game. First goal from Salah was offside. You know, City should have had a penalty in front of the cop in the second half. Uh, They had a perfectly good away goal ruled out in uh, in the game at Anfield. So there were moments that went against City, but overall, over the over the two legs of the tie, Liverpool were by far and away the better team and deserved to go through. Flip that round to Tottenham. Guardiola kind of learnt his lesson in in uh, in the first leg for the for for that game. It was the first leg of that Champions League tie was of was in a run where City had to win every single league game in order to win the title. They had to win every single uh, FA Cup game in order to win the FA Cup, and they did both of those things. In the Champions League, they had leeway in one game, and that was the away tie at Tottenham. And Guardiola took that leeway. He didn't play. Uh, I don't think he played Sane. I don't think he played, he played De Bruyne, who was fit at the time. Um, and it just City lacked a little bit of intensity. And what what it looked like they were doing was going, we'll keep Tottenham at arm's length if we're still with, if we're still in the tie. In, uh, by, by the time the second leg comes around, what we'll do in the second leg is organise chaos and we'll just make everything go mental. And they did that, and it, it ended up with them being a, you know, a, a whisker away from, from qualifying with a last-minute goal. Um, you would question whether it was wise to allow Tottenham to score three times at the Etihad um, <laughs> when, uh, when you're trying to get through in a, in a competition that has away goals. Uh, I, I would argue it probably isn't. Um, but again, there were two very different contrasting styles, and you can see why Guardiola did what he did. Um, I don't think he's—I don't think he's quite uh, kind of cracked it with, with with City in that regard. But hey, you know, I'm not going to rule out the fact that they could get to the Champions League final by drawing the easiest team they get that they could draw in every round. So they need a bit of luck with the draw. Um, at some point, they're going to play a team that's really good at knockout football. Um, and I think City are, are, are much more suited to uh, league football than they are knockout football. And I think that's one of their biggest issues with the Champions League. Sure. So uh, then last question, and then we'll wrap up for today. But where do you think Chelsea finish in this upcoming season? I don't know. You know, I, I, I really worry about Chelsea with the with the loss of Aiden Hazard. Uh, I, I, I do too. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love... I, I loved him as a player at, at Chelsea, and I was... Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was gutted when he picked Chelsea over over City in 2012. It would have been, 
Um, because I, I I could have seen him doing wonderful things for City instead. So I think he's he's a he's a huge loss. There's no getting around it. Um, it's I, I don't think Chelsea are top two material. I think I, I think City and Liverpool are, are, are streets ahead of the rest of the league. Uh, beyond that, um, you know, it, it really does depend how quickly Lampard settles in. Um, I think I think Tottenham will probably grab third place. I think Chelsea are better than United because there are so many teams that are better than United. Um, I think they're better than Arsenal. And I, I think it all kind of depends. Uh, and by definition, they're better than the rest of the, of the league because it is six and then and then everybody else. So I, I, I would expect Chelsea to be pushing for fourth place. Uh, maybe with you know a few pieces of good fortune and a, a little bit of bad fortune for the others. Uh, maybe might sneak third. Uh, but also wouldn't be wouldn't be too surprised to see them uh, miss out in the Champions League, finishing fifth. All right, they'll, well, they'll, they'll, they'll finish above Arsenal, I think. Anyway, I, I think that uh, we probably could go place a bet on that and be pretty secure <laughs> that we could we could spend the winnings in advance, and uh, I think we wouldn't be in a bad shape. <laughs> Uh, well, David, really an amazing pleasure to chat with you today. Again, he's at David Mooney on Twitter. He hosts the Blue Moon Podcast at Blue Moon Podcast. So if you want to learn more about City, you want to do a little bit of that opposition research throughout the season. Uh, they also just did a great um, episodic, uh, one episodic one shot around the 1999 um, second division playoff final at Wembley that was exceptional. So even if you're not a city supporter, it was really great to listen to. But David, thank you so much. And uh, I would say best of luck, but I'm just going to say good luck to this <laughs> season because I think you already have all the talent in the world to uh, not need as much luck this year. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that's uh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. All right, Chelsea fans. So that is a wrap on our Manchester City preview of the 2019-2020 Premier League season we have a bunch more coming your way to take a look at the other top teams in the league and a few others that might surprise you so stay tuned for those but until next time you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high